Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the podcast, Track Changes, brought to you by the web and app agency Postlight in New York City. My name is Paul Ford. I'm a co-founder at Postlight, and I am here with my other co-founder, friend, friend, life mate, Richard Ziade. Hello, Paul. So, Rich, do you have any idea what we're going to talk about here today? I don't. I got to tell you, what I'm really happy about is that this isn't brought to us by MailChimp. It could be, if we're not careful. It, it, I feel rebellious I have just a lot being of, a podcast without MailChimp. One of the main things that I'm <laughs> excited about is that I have a lot of really strong feelings about how MailChimp came together as a product. And by not having them as a sponsor, I think we're going to have an opportunity to really talk about things that are maybe a little difficult or problematic about MailChimp. I think we should have a, a special two-hour episode Could go, that just covers the MailChimp interface. That would be on the short side yeah. for me. We can do this. We're paying customers. It's all good. Absolutely. So, you know, we should introduce ourselves. People don't know who we are. They don't. My name is Paul Ford. I'm the co-founder of Postlight. I'm also a writer. I'm a programmer. And I've been working in New York City in technology for about 20 years. Probably uh, the thing that most people know me for recently is that I wrote an entire issue of Bloomberg Business Week called What is Code? Trying to explain code to the entire world. And um, I actually got to explain code to the entire world, which was cool. Rich? Hi, uh, my name is Rich Ziotti. I did not write a full issue of anything. Uh, I have been in technology also for about 25 years almost now. I am an attorney by education. Uh, And then I found Jesus and decided that, uh, whoa, you can play around with technology stuff and get paid for it. And in 95-ish, I bailed on the law and went into tech. And since then, uh, I founded a company called Arc90 in 2004. That was around for about 10 years. And that got sold to a big electronic dance music company, appropriately. Sensibly. And uh, I do, you know, I've touched it all. I mean, I, I... I know enough about tech to be dangerous-ish, and I like to design, and I like to think about products, tech products. Uh, What I've noticed is that the engineers that you have hired are people who tend to make fun of you for your lack of programming skill. That is inevitable. I don't think... It seems like if you hire anybody good, that's just what's going to happen. That's that's how it goes, right? I mean, I, I knew... You know, my New Year's resolution for the last 11 years is to get back into coding, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've not been able to to pull it off. So I just, I just, you know, read uh, wiki pages about the latest JavaScript framework, which will die in six months. You know what I've noticed is that even if you don't write a lot of code, you can still have an enormous number of opinions about code. This is true for you and me. Like, I'm just... Sure. I still keep up on everything, and I'm still angry all the time. Code is expression, and if you're going to express yourself, you can expect feedback, you can expect criticism, judgment. Engineers love criticism. They love it. They, it's really it's, one of their number one things is to be told about. And it's at the code level, they're fine. Yeah. But but when you get really to that meta level and you're like, I don't know about your language choice, it's really fun to watch their Whoa, faces. I don't yeah. know about your religion. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I don't know about your mom. That's I don't know about your mom, exactly. Let me ask you a question, Rich. Okay. What is... Postlight. Postlight is a tech product shop is the best way I'd sum it up. We build stuff, but you could build stuff as a general contractor and not really care about how the stairs look. We care about the whole thing, the design, the materials, the experience, the way things lay out. So it's really product design and development. People walk in the door and they say, I need an app. That's usually what they say. I need an app that has a thing on it. It's got right. to make a, a dog dances on the app. That's a, that's a particular division of Postlight that handles dancing, dancing animals. Dogs. Yeah, that's good. It's <laughs> um, one, of our, one of our growing verticals. So, Rich, we have a show here today. A show. We do. So what is Track Changes? Technology and culture, I think that word has been used by Wired 11 million times, That probably. phrase, you mean tr- technology and culture and yeah, quotes? Yeah, exactly, exactly. This show is about how 
technology seeps into everything else. I just see that it's a blur to me. It's always been a blur. And, right. and I really, if we're going to do anything with this podcast, I want to capture that, that the line between technology and culture has always been incredibly permeable. And really what happens is technologies last long enough and then somebody comes along and goes, that's culture now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's not tech. That's a look. It's a book printed on paper. You know, obviously, there's like thousands of years of engineering that go into getting that book into your hands. But that's not a technology. I, th- you know, I think one of the things you and I have in common is that we're at least we perceive ourselves as outsiders constantly. Uh, when when a prospect comes in, you know, I behave like a complete expert. But in fact, I am an outsider right. uh, when it comes to technology, and I think that's a strength. We have engineers, and the stronger the engineer, the more, the more hopelessly insider they are, I find. I think it's, it's – they know what to build. They know how to build it, but it's very hard for them to translate out into the larger world. They're in a giant world that has 18 million other programmers in it, and they're thriving and succeeding in there. And we're, by some flaw in our personalities, not able to ever feel like we fully participate, but we're also able to kind of go out and talk to people in publishing or law or architecture or whatever – Exactly. And explain what's happening inside that world of engineering. That's right. That's right. So we're going to try to do that with this podcast. And let's see how far we get. Great. So the first show we're doing is going to be perfectly in tune with that theme. We have a friend coming in named John Lax, who's a director of design at Facebook. And he's going to talk about what it was like to make the move from Toronto to Silicon Valley and the things he's learned making a transition from someone who ran his own agency, was a designer, was a completely independent individual. He had a, you know, a partnership with a, with a man named Jeff Tian and they had a big business together, but he really called the shots to go and work inside of a giant company, inside of a giant culture to go, you know, Facebook and then Silicon Valley. And so he'll be in in a little bit, but I thought we should talk a little bit about our experiences dealing with Silicon Valley over the courses of our career. I think you and I have a different take on it. I, I tend to see it as it's hard. I internalize it. I feel always like the Valley's just a little bit better at everything than I could ever understand. That's interesting. I don't see that at all. I have a very New Yorker view of Silicon Valley. In New York, you know, the industry you're in, fashion, architecture, design, uh, law, is still not the game in New York. The biggest law firms in the world are in New York. And yet they make up three and a half percent of New York. And you can walk west and you'll be in the garment district and you walk north and you're in the other district. And, and yet nobody dominates. And I just that's that swirl of insanity is what I love about New York. So you go out to Silicon Valley. I'm like, oh, that's a shitty painting. <laughs> I would actually say that there is one true industry in New York City, though, which is real estate. And one of the things I think about is that all the real estate in New York City is worth about a trillion dollars. And Google and Apple each are approaching a trillion dollars. Like the way that the culture in market cap. So the way that our culture, the way that our world is thinking about technology, Mm. we're saying that these companies, these entities, which are built on abstractions, are now each of them almost worth as much as every single building in New York City. Yeah, you're scoring by dollars. But that's a lot of value. That's a lot of stuff going on. It is a on. lot of it, but that's not like, you know, my my measuring stick is different than yours. You're 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 scoring by dollars and I'm not scoring by that. I'm scoring by just richness of life and experience and you know, yes, there's billions in everything in New York, but that and if you add it up, maybe we lose, but it doesn't matter. The fact that it's all swirling in one place is just that's amazing to me. I'll tell you I do. I go out there there's always this moment you get off the plane and I immediately go like, wow, I could do this. And then you go past the yoga room and then you're out into that sunlight. There's no clouds. And you know you're kind of in about an hour, you're going to be sitting somewhere eating granola on yeah. your way to a meeting in a blazer. Right. It's pretty pleasant. Yeah. That to me is, again, I, I, was, I grew up in New York. So when you take me out of this, this pace. You're just like, where's I, – I can't get good – Good yeah, pita. you could put, I mean, not to compare the valley to Western Pennsylvania, but the it starts to blur for me pretty fast when you take me out of this place. So really, you roll your eyes at San Francisco. I wouldn't say, I, I love it. Like a three-day weekend, four-day weekend, I, I like it, you know? You know, would I not live there? I don't know. I mean, San Francisco is a city, but everything 
scale just you know it just can't compete i mean we i got spoiled i'm in i'm in new york and the valley the whole way there's this like san francisco and this umbilical cord that connects the valley to it and you have to every all the money is sort of being controlled an hour away and Everybody wants to live in San Francisco and they have these shuttle buses that are taking Google people. They it's actually just, do. They have the, it's all bananas. I have to say like you live in a world where, where you pretty much have to figure out which rich people are going to run your life. You know, that's just how life is. And their rich people are pretty exhausting for the most part. Like there are a lot of just like – the rich people here are often kind of you know, either funny or evil in interesting ways. I, mean, I wrote a big thing for Business Week. That's a Bloomberg property. You know, right. like, everything that I do – I used to work for a – not-for-profit literary magazine called Harper's Magazine, and that that's run by um, the uh, a charitable trust set up by the MacArthur, not the MacArthur Foundation, but like a. It's too complicated to explain, but just know it goes back to oil, right? Like, mm. and then you're out there, and it really is like it's a very specific. Like, we built this city on cloud services and right hyper libertarian capitalism, right? You know. I do want to say that, you know, as I as I think about Silicon Valley, I, it turns out that I really, really love it because in the future I may be going back there to raise money. So, considering you know, you know, with all these criticisms and issues that I've raised, it turns out underneath it all is something really beautiful. You know, and, I just I'm with you. I can't wait to yeah. go back and on the Caltrain yeah. or maybe pay an Uber driver 180 dollars to take me out to you know. The, That's the valley. Exactly. And, and sit down with some venture capital people. And, who are just some of the kindest people I've ever met. You know, and they really, what, they, what they're good at is listening. Oh, and just being empathetic. Oh, and they just give you that. But it's never even just Fiji water. It's like a special, it's even even more obscure island, right? Yeah. Got, that they're invested in. Yeah. So just as on a, on a final note. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no. We're going to. Love to the valley. <laughs> well, this is very, very exciting because in the studio, Argo Studios on 26th Street, is John Lax. Also, Rich Yadi, my business partner, but John Lax. Hello, John. Hi. Great to have you here. Can I introduce you, John? Sure. Go for it. John is the director of product design at Facebook, which is a little startup company. Scrappy. That's, we hope make big things. Make it, they're changing the way things are going on the web. Yeah. You know, just, I, think they're gonna, I think it's going to matter what yeah. they're doing. Let me, let me tell a little bit about you. You've been working okay. in digital media since... 1994. Yeah. You started at Shift Magazine in 1994. What was what was that? Shift was a, a publication out of Toronto, I guess in some ways a kind of a wired but more focused on culture and the role of technology and culture and how it's coming together. Really, startup magazine when you could still do startup magazine. Was it specifically Canadian in any way? No, it it it, it it like its editorial was was very broad based, and we covered. I mean, I went to Burning Man in 1995 and covered it. Um, You're talking like, about that openly now. Yeah, <laughs> it was the last, first and last time I ever went to Canadian Burning Man. Burning Man? No, no, the Black okay. Rock, like the whole. Thing. What would Canadian <laughs> Burning, Burning Man be like? Loose straw. It's the... just it's just a barbecue. It's so much nicer. <laughs> they don't like, burn the man at no, the end. There's no. They're just, yeah. yeah, they're like, no, nah, we were going to burn him, but right. Yeah, they, a lot of Molsons. So you uh, developed the first ad-supported site in Canada. Yeah, we were – so Wired kind of showed the way with the AT&T banner ad and we said that's a good way to pay for my salary and um, got a few – actually, Molson's was – Molson uh, Canadian was, we, was the first banner ad that, that funded uh, you know the site and then Miss Vicky's Chips was actually the second and then Handful Advertising. So we were – putting ads on the site in um, late 1994, 95, I can't remember exact date, but we were the first ones to to start generating income. Now, were you building the site too back then? Yeah, I was, uh, that was... Um, I mean, who else was going to do it? Yeah, so that was actually, I, I got hired right out of J school. Uh, I did an internship there. All the rest of my friends had applied for internships at like the CBC, uh, which is the Canadian Broadcast Corporation. And that was sort of the dream, or maybe uh, the Toronto Star, or the Globe and Mail, which are the big kind of dailies. Uh, newspapers, and I said in 1994 when I did my internship, and I had I had learned HTML that summer mm -hmm. on my own because I was just super interested in it. And I said this web thing, like I'm not a I'm not that good a writer or editor, but I can build a web page. And I pitched myself in my internship saying, Hey, I'll come build your website to publications. And the only one that actually had a website, and they had the URL shift.com 
back then. Like wow. they were, they were like, we could use you because we have a website and we need someone to run it. And so I coded it. I did all the editorial. I hired writers. I edited on top of that because it was a startup magazine. I also wrote for the magazine on, on the print side, edited there, and helped do the layout because I had been taught Quark right. in in J school. And the art director there kind of took me under his wing. And that's where I started to learn design was by laying out the magazine. And he taught me typography. He taught me grid systems. Uh, and then I, you know, you couldn't really use any of that at the time in HTML because all we had was a table. <laughs> right. <laughs> like to, to do, we didn't have CSS. We couldn't actually lay out grids in a meaningful way. I mean, you could kludge it, but it was pretty bad. And, but that's where I started to learn design. I, you know, talking about Facebook is obviously going to be really interesting. Uh, and, you know, you can ask the question that everybody likes. You know, tell us something about Facebook we don't know. Tell us something about Facebook that we don't know. I don't know what you know or don't know. I hear things about the kitchen. Yeah. Oh, I've heard, yeah, the, that it's a, just a life of pleasure, like the <laughs> ancient Rome. Right. <laughs> just, well, okay, so I, here's something around. I will tell you um, uh, about Facebook. At least one of the things when I first went there and didn't know much about it that, that, that shocked me. So Menlo Park, where the, the main campus is, is, is when I got there, it's the old Sun Microsystems um, mm-hmm. uh, campus. And it's set up in kind of a circle. Uh, the buildings are in a circle. And in the inside, there's a squ- it's all open green space and a square. And um, over on that side of the campus, the restaurants, they're restaurants, like they're cafeterias and there's places where you eat, eat lunch, all kind of sit inside of this square. But they're done up in this Disneyland-ish kind of way. So, for example, there's a place where you can get burgers. There's a salad place. The burger place looks kind of like a Coney Island Right. You know, there's 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 theater to sombreros to it. There's Taco there's Bell? a Mexican place that that has like a you know a, a, a Mexican theme. Uh, there's a barbecue place that's like a Southwest. And like this is Austin. every day. This is always going. Every day is just going right. Okay. So when you get there, I think I, I've heard people have two reactions to this. So my reaction was, wow, I kind of appreciate the theater of it, kind of like when you go to Las Vegas, mm-hmm. you know, and like you can appreciate, like you understand this is not a Yeah, it's not the real, real thing, but it's like you, Liberty, but it's yeah, hilarious you, and cool that it's there. Yeah, and I appreciate kind of the theater of it. And then there's other people who have a reaction, which I've heard from ex-Facebook employees who say like, who do they think they're kidding? Like, I'm in Menlo Park, you know, and they, they get, they react very negatively to it, but I actually really appreciate it. So they're it. angry that someone is giving them an experience with their burger. Y- yeah, exactly. Right. Which I think is sort of not a thing to complain about. But no, but people will complain about things. Yeah. Um, then I now work in MPK, what's called MPK 20, which is across the street from the Sun campus. What's the oh, Menlo Park? Menlo Park. So the buildings okay. are numbered. Okay. You know. They don't have time to say the full words over there, do they? No, it's just MPK. 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 What's the building that's like the brain center, the one where... So that's MPK 20 now. Okay. Um, uh, it's, the, it's the Geary design uh, building, which you can see uh, online. There's lots of pictures of it. it. I won't. I may not get these exact numbers uh, correct, but I think it's about 440,000 square feet on one floor. Cool. Cool. That's nice. <laughs> a lot of golf carts. Yeah. Well, actually, funny story about that. So there's the way – it's a very large open floor plan, and then there's these uh, walkways, almost like uh, sidewalks that sort of circle it so you can you can move between zones where, the, where your meetings are. And you will see – so when I first got there, you'd see someone like on like a motorized skateboard go by you. And, you know, my reaction is like, ugh, like this is every cliche about right. Silicon Valley right, just kind right, of scooting right. by me. But after you're in the building for a little while and it's 440,000 square feet and it takes you about five minutes to get from one end to the other walking, you realize that the skateboard is just actually a really efficient way to move around. Sure. Like there's actually a practical sure. reason to, to, to move around the building that way. I go over every now and then I'll have some reason to go over to the Google building and I had, in, in New York City, not even not yeah. even their biggest campus by far, right? Yeah. But I will go – I can never – there's two entrances and they're both – they're almost – like one's almost like a mile from the other. I invariably go in the wrong entrance and it's a half-hour disaster. Getting to the other yeah. side. It's a block. It's, it's a, a block. block. But also it's like three levels of security and it's only by the time you get to the third where they're like, this is – you're actually in the wrong place. <laughs> so you have to go back out and go back around and go through security again and you're tired and frustrated and – And late. You just don't want to talk about ad technology anymore no. at that point. No, you're so. done. So, Rich, when you met – John, yes. What was he doing? He was at a shop up in Toronto called Tian and Lax. And you, if you cared about design on the web, you you knew about Tian and Lax. These guys were 
they were just the the polish and and the quality of what they were putting out was just above and beyond and you just they were consistently killing it and i had a shop to, you know in new york uh, about the same size actually yeah, not that four, different in size 30 40 people yeah about 40 people and and uh i was uh envious in a terribly bad way of what they could pull off. But we were kick-ass engineers. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, they can't code like us, so we're still better that way. Uh, so I forgot. whatever you need to I, tell yourself. <laughs> I forgot why we connected. So we had, we had been working on an app which was Flipboard-esque before Flipboard. That's right. And, and we needed a parser because we were, you know, we were ingesting stories and trying to re- Twitter. Basically, we were out. we were unpacking Twitter links, trying to present them into a magazine format That's on right. an iPad app. And so, did that have a name? It was called TweetDeck. TweetDeck. Okay, sure. TweetMag. I'm kidding. TweetMag. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Tweet what? Is a, it was called TweetMag. <laughs> yeah, um, so I remember right this. Uh, it was called TweetMag, and that was the connection. And point. then we called you because we wanted to use the code for the parser that right. you guys had. Right. And from there, I feel like because we were both agencies, we're about the same side. We were both principals and and we just talked about stuff generally and we collaborated a bit and kept in touch pretty much throughout. So John John called you because you had written a piece of software that made it very easy to read web pages and put them into a format that could be reused. And that's Cor- called that's called readability. Correct. Yeah. So readability essentially strips down pages to the sort of the bare text, which is very useful because the whole world was moving to apps mm-hmm. at that point uh, where they didn't want all the web cruft and so the, the 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 readability parser was very attractive. It's still I mean, it's still used a lot today, in fact. And from there, we worked together on on a collaboration in a future iteration of readability, mm-hmm. and just kept in touch. You guys did a ton of work for Medium, TNLX, did I remember? Yeah, and actually, I think the connecting piece on that was the readability work. Uh, we you know worked with Arc ninety on the design of readability and. Ev really liked readability, yeah. Um, and so connected us like we got connected through that. That was a bridge over. So big platforms. And when you talk about design, I think mm-hmm. when people think about web design, and you talk about something like Medium, they're going to think about that one page where there's an article, right? Yeah. But what what were you actually doing? What's the work? So the story with Ev actually predates Medium. By he, Ev, you mean Ev, Ev Williams, Williams sorry. the founder of Medium. Yeah, sorry. Also um, had something to do with Twitter. <laughs> yeah, um, and blo- some blogging, blogging software. Stuff. That, yeah, that he's a there. blogger, I think. I, I think, think that's what he does. We've been asked to explain what we mean by that. Ev Williams is a very successful entrepreneur who created, um, with other people he created, Blogger, went on to be the um, really one of the guiding forces behind Twitter and then moved on to create Medium. So yeah. kind of a... Pretty serious web serial entrepreneur. Yeah. And he had um, left Twitter in 2011, or depending what version he may have been asked to leave. Um, but anyway, he had left Twitter and he was he had reformed something called the Obvious Corporation, which was actually the company that Twitter emerged out of. And him and Jason Goldman and Biz Stone, who were early Twitter uh, employees uh, and had been with Ev for a lot of his career, had sort of reignited this obvious corporation. And they Ev had been thinking at the time about doing a publishing platform because that's pretty much what he spends a lot of his time thinking just about. He just does it. He just, just does it. Yeah. He just has a good track record building publishing platforms. He had come to us and asked us to help prototype something called State. State was – the best way I can describe it was he was very – um, inspired by Snowfall before Snowfall existed, the New York Times, very rich, you know, interactive storytelling piece. Snowfall was a, I think it even won the Pulitzer Prize. It was a story about, a, essentially a- about an avalanche. avalanche yeah. And, uh, but it was incredibly rich multimedia of the, of the style that, like, used to almost be CD-ROM level. Like, everything it was yeah. very interlinked and lots of animations and it, it changed publishing. Like everyone got very excited about Snowfall. If you think about design and you predate Snowfall, um, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth iPad um, book mm-hmm. version, I don't know if you've ever played with it, but it, it was done by Mike Mattis, which, who, who at the time had a company called Push Pop Press. He then went to Facebook until I think he just left Facebook about two weeks ago. But Ed was very inspired by this, like new forms of storytelling that were incredibly rich and interactive. And he felt sort of was really interested in that. And he wanted, he, at the time, he wanted to build a system that could generate that kind of stuff very easily. 
but they had been trying to code it and were having difficulty envisioning the end product because they were, if you think about that from a process standpoint, building the system before knowing what the output is, it, it can be a little tough and it might be better to go, here are the things we want this system to create and then work backwards from that to build the system that does it. So he had come to us and said, can you help us? Like we have a bunch of ideas. We want to see them played out in a prototype. And so we worked with uh, Jason Goldman through the winter, almost to Christmas of, of 2011, and we built this front-end prototype that was a bunch of story types that were very rich and interactive. Uh, if you go to the Tien and Lack site, you can actually still find this. There is a, some screenshots of it if you ever want to see it um, in the story of, where we talk about the story of Medium. This story is told as a, as a, a bit of an uh, introduction to it. Anyway, we kind of handed it over, and my reaction was, this is really cool. I don't know how you build a software to do this. Mm -hmm. It felt like you could only do it in the way that Snowfall was built, which is a bunch of designers and engineers. Labor intensive. Labor intensive. Sure. Yeah, super labor intensive. Like really bespoke stuff. Costly. Very costly. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, has a short half-life uh, right. in terms of editorial. So uh, we, he said, thank you very much. And he <laughs> we, we said, you're welcome, paid his bill. Um, and we kind of, he said, I'll let you know what's next and, or let you know the next steps. And we just waited and we waited and waited and waited and months went by and there was still nothing coming out of the obvious corporation. Ev had kind of gone quiet, it gone dark. And I think in around June of 2012, um, Jeff Tian, my, my, my partner at the time, got like a, a direct message, which is how Ev communicates primarily and said, I know what we're doing. Let's talk. And so Jeff and I flew out to San Heady. Francisco. Yeah, it was yes. very, it was very cryptic. Bum, um, bum, yeah. Bum. yeah, yeah. And Meet so we here. were summoned. Or yeah. I feel like we were summoned. I don't know if he, if that's the way he would tell the story. But we, Jeff and I went. Yeah, out he's to, like, I DM those guys, and I, I wanted to just get them in a room for a meeting. But you're like, we were summoned. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. His we version was probably like, I sent him a DM. What's yeah, the big DM deal? Them, I, yeah, I don't even want to deal with the email. It's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think from our standpoint, it was a big deal. And so we, uh, uh, we, Jeff and I flew out to San Francisco, and he presented a, 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 like a deck that he had, a, power, um, a keynote that he had, where he laid out Medium. And you know, honestly, as I watch even to this day the things he's doing, all of those ideas were pretty much present in that initial deck that he showed us. He's sort of executing primarily against that playbook that he showed us. And even though there have been twists and turns along the way – for me, I can draw a straight line back to some of those ideas. And so through July to December, we embedded a team of five designers and an engineer, a um, front-end engineer, into the team at Medium, which I think at that time was only about 12 people. So we were like four or five of the 12 people. I said, now, were you down in San Francisco at that point? So I was down in the beginning, and then um, I had to kind of return just to run the business at okay. TNLX. And Jeff and the other designers basically were two weeks on, two weeks off in San Francisco in a hotel. It was a it was not an awesome existence for them, I think, for six months. It was pretty grueling on their lives and, and things like that. And I think that they launched Medium in September. The first version that went public was in September. And what was the typical design process? I mean, were you in Photoshop? Were you just editing stuff? Were you... A lot of Photoshop worked very closely with engineers. They would code it up. We'd do builds every night. We were playing with a version of it every day. We were writing inside of it. We were dogfooding it. Um, effectively, which is the standard way you build product in the valley. Um, you build something and you use it yourself for a while. So yeah. you were – did you feel prepared then when Facebook called? You knew what you were getting into? So Medium really for us kicked off a pretty big workload in the valley. And so we, can, we worked with Google. We ended up working with Facebook prior to actually going there. And so by the time we got to Facebook, we had a few other both what I'm going to call – you know, large scale startups like Google's and, and Facebook, yeah, little, uh, type things, little, and then little places, and then startups. Well, it's interesting because so this is something that was like we made a distinction in our business between enterprise clients who would be like Fortune 500, who had primarily been offline businesses that were trying to you know deal with the online disruption, and they behaved very differently than say a Google or a Facebook, which while they are a Fortune 500 company, their DNA is is digital and they just have a very different way of operating. So like a pharma company calls you up, they're going to be very a, different. A financial services, yeah. a, an airline. Yeah, very, very different. So we made that distinction. So we called them large-scale startups because we didn't really know what else to, to, to call them. Hmm. Um, and then we worked with a lot of venture-backed startups, both at very early stage and some who were more formed and we were helping them kind of get to the next level. So by the time 
I showed up at Facebook, I had a kind of range of product experience in different scales, mm -hmm. but there's a pretty common thread through all of them and how they work. Interesting. Yeah. So in a sense, I mean, you can correct me here, but Medium was Tina Lax's last big bang in terms of a major public engagement before you moved on to Facebook. Is um, that safe to say? I think it's the one we're we're very associated with. Right. Although I think that there were you know things we did for Google that um, are out there, but we just we're not allowed to kind of take credit for them in the same way that we were allowed to really talk about the medium design process and experience, and so we became very associated with it. But yep. you know that was we wrapped that project in 2012, and we were still in business for another you know till end of 2014. So oh okay, so it, 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 there was a lag. So you've there. been there a year. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So you loving it. Yeah, it's of awesome. Of course you are, John. You're on a podcast. You're going to say you're loving it. <laughs> Fine. It's awful. They beat me every day. Um, <laughs> no. Do you find that the hamburger stand is too ironic? I don't. See, I appreciate the theater of it all. I also like Las Vegas. So, <laughs> What's your favorite thing there? You mean like in terms of the surrounding artifice or like the people? Uh, <laughs> the I'm not going to answer job? that. Okay. So I, I think that, that right now, I really appreciate and the thing that I really enjoy is I am both participating in and getting a front row seat to watching a business operate like that has never really existed in the in, in the history of business. Talk, like how many companies are operating at the scale that Facebook is? What's that scale like? Like what? Well, 1.6, you know, billion people in the community. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> the global scale. I mean, is there anything is there any sort of entity that touches more humans? Coca-Cola? Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm the just, World Cup maybe. Like yeah. there's there's a small number okay. of of places where the work that you do is going to impact the world at this scale and this company is part one of those and is le and arguably leading in, in it. And I get this front row seat to not only participate in it, but also watch it play out, watching Mark and Cheryl That's operate. Mark Zuckerberg and Cheryl Sandberg. I didn't mean to name drop, but I just... I, <laughs> just want to help yeah. the listener at home. Yeah. Um, watching them operates very interesting. And Now, are you in rooms with them? Sure. Is that, okay, so that's part of your life now. See, that's, yeah. that's interesting to me because there was a day when uh, design thinking would not have been in the room and it would not be considered – I think this is an Apple effect. The idea that designers or design thinkers should be in the room driving and helping make major business decisions. I mean if your position is – and again, I don't mean to yeah. keep going back to your title, but director of design and you're at, a, you're at an altitude where you're pretty close to – uh, the people who are making big strategic decisions about the company. And that, there is no, uh, IBM, 1983, I don't think there, maybe there was a director of design, but he was in a whole other wing. He was a brand person, He was a probably. brand guy, and he wasn't even close to executive management, right? So, it was a service. Design was a service yeah. that would sort of, along with yeah. marketing. And, it, you mm. know, credit to them to, to consciously realize, you know what, this is part of the game. If we're going to win... Uh, and, and from what I hear, design is driving the agenda for what gets built. Is that safe? To, or is that too extreme? That's probably a, too extreme. I think – so there's a, a few clarifications I want to make. Yeah. Um, it's not just like that I'm in the room. My designers, literally the ICs are in the room presenting What's an IC? My, uh, individual contributor. Yeah, we so, have more time on our hands than you do, John. You're okay. a busy guy. Uh, so, I, so I need to actually use the full – language no yeah. one in, right. no one outside of facebook knows i apologize what yeah. is. we're I civilians you're in the military the, the muggles you guys are like muggles um i like that i you're just like i see you don't know what i see it is. Like you're, what is it again individual contributor individual um, contributor it's, it's not even trunk. a title it, it's a it's a this is it's a common, this is first of all this is not a facebook thing this is a very yeah. common thing in 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 um, the valley is do you have dgs there decent guys no, I'm decent. What about, H, what about HBs for human beings? Human beings, no. The <laughs> okay, so you got some ICs in the room with. So they will be presenting. It's also their own integrated work. circuit, so it's a brutal acronym. It's a, yeah, it's strong. There's, yeah, I think like like all acronyms, they're you know they fail on a lot of levels. I, right. mean, I know yeah. actually, I know. Um, I think Jeff Bezos has like a famous memo about banning acronyms uh, at Amazon. I think that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, we're going to find out that Amazon stands for something though. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> yeah. A to Z, everything from A to Z. So just to clarify, you know, the designers will present their own work. They will, 
answer questions. How much sweating is happening when a designer is walking in with their new widget to show Mark Zuckerberg? I think the first time it's a little intimidating. Yeah. But after that, I think most of them, there are some who have been there. Yeah. You know, three, four years, and very comfortable. It's fascinating insight that, that, they, that they encourage this. Do you know right. how insufferable they're going to be when they go to the next job? Oh, first of all, they're going to they're gonna say things like, oh, yeah, I had a meeting with Mark today. Yeah. Mark? Mark who? I remember when I showed this to Mark. Yeah. It was a button a lot right. like this uh, one. It's, Mark had a cold. I had to keep a few feet away. Anyway, John, John's here. We should John, probably talk to John, him. John, sorry. Continue. No <laughs> um, but I think to your point about, like, design can set the agenda, meaning that there are ideas – or products that are, you know, come out of a designer thought about something, but really that designer then has to get people to, you know, agree to it. And and if you can create momentum and energy behind it, it does kind of, it can be put into the world and it kind of moves through. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, I'd say Facebook is very bottoms up, meaning a lot of agency and autonomy is given to teams and people to drive things upwards. And there's very few layers from you know, Mark to a designer. So a product is born, an idea mm-hmm. is born. Could that – where does that come from? That could come from engineering, could come from you. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it could come from a variety of places. It could come from one of the VPs saying we really need to focus on this area and then tasking a product manager to go and sort of think about the space and come back with like a proposal and then assemble a team around it. So is that um, very data driven? Like they go out, do a ton of research or sometimes it's instinctual. Sometimes it's, it's a little bit of data and some instincts some business thinking, you so know, stickers. Just, nobody was like, Oh, there's a 37.9% of the people like weird oysters. No. Okay. <laughs> that would be much more instinctual. It's like, this just feels like the right thing to do. Stickers, yeah. by the way, are a feature of uh, Facebook messenger where you can just insert goofy stickers. If you haven't seen them, it's, you should go look at them because they're weird. They're important. kind of amazing. They're kind they of amazing. important to yeah. how I, I communicate. I, I love Facebook stickers. Yeah. So there's a stickers group. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's yeah. how things – so someone owns these components all over this organization. Yeah. If, if Once you're inside Facebook, you can look at the app now and understand that it's actually a whole bunch of small groups working on parts of it that come together in an integrated whole that you experience as a singular thing. But it's really an incredible number of teams working uh, against parts of the product to to do it. So a good example would be Profile, which is something that is in my group. So while you may think a profile is a part of, you know, just a part of Facebook. Like my we, Facebook profile, like my face, my yeah, name. My yeah, type, when you yeah. click your name, like here's your wall. I went to high school here. Yeah. yeah. There's a team that would th- view that as a product. I mean, the language is a little, you know, we we construct it to make to make sense, but that's a product in our language inside of Facebook. And there's a team that works against that. And there's multiple designers and engineers and product managers. And then there's parts how, how of How big would a team like that be? Is that like a giant, like a no. like 100 people? No, maybe 20, 30 people okay. in total. Like I'm talking like uh, data research design. One of the statistics we've been freaking out about is that 800 people work on the iPhone camera. Like that, oh, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, just like, like the those hardware, giant, yeah. like enormous teams, right? So these are pretty small. This is like a little company. Yeah, um, I mean, I th- I don't have the exact data, but I think that people have looked at like revenue per employee and like we are oh, – you're doing real, real good. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty – like it's it, – it, in comparison to other companies, we kind of punch above our weight. And I think that one thing that I think the company likes and prides itself on is being able to have a small team of people work very – with a lot of, you know, agency and autonomy to be able just to deliver and push. And you know, that's a huge product. antidote to politics and – just human inertia that tends to pull things in different directions. When you do that, when you insulate them and give them that autonomy, there's less of a likelihood. If you're so hierarchical and you can get pulled up and down the chain and power tends to trickle down and up, things don't get done. I think that's great that they do that. The trade-off there is if you look at the Spotify desktop app, Mm -hmm. that's like a bunch of little apps that are built by separate teams, and it's kind of a cluster. This approach yeah, can I mean I it's usable. You gotta, you gotta cut it up right. I think there's a logical breakdown. The fact that, that there's a Q team at Spotify isn't is a little insane, right? To slice it that way is a little bananas. So 
Can I, so we worked with Spotify, so I have some insight into. Right. Oh, so you're it, not at Spotify. You're at Facebook. I'm at Facebook. So but you I, need to give us all the dirt on so, that. End of it. So when I was at Tina Lax, we worked with Spotify, yeah. and I think that my yeah, those contracts don't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah those, those NDAs, go. those NDAs are at the <laughs> are at the window. Um, so what I see happening there at Spotify when I when I've talked to the design teams there and the the, the people there who I'm still you know, friends with what I think happens anymore. (laughs) Kieran, I'm so sorry. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. uh, (laughs) um, I think that that ability for uh, engineers to push anything into the product, like at will was very, very valuable for that product to gain traction and, you know, product market fit, which is this, you know, obsession in the Valley and then in digital products, which is a thing that Mark Andreessen talked about, which eventually basically means when your product is working, it just sort of goes logarithmic up, and they call that moment product market fit. And I think that the, that agile PMF. ability – PMF. <laughs> PMF, for See, sure. good ICs. We'll, yeah. we'll yeah. get, get PMF, PMF quickly, yeah. Um, so I think it worked really well for them then. And then it kind of flips over. Like once you have that, it becomes a problem because exactly your point, the there's no unifying whole. It's sort of chaotic. And so – Teams then have to go in and try to rationalize the UI and work with it. Of course, you have debt now, which makes it difficult sure. to do because that thing that got you to where you are is now causing problems somewhere else in the system. And so there's always a, a tension in products when you design them, which is if you try to do them from top down, you get something that's very an integrated whole, but it tends to move slower and it can't mm. optimize in different places. If you go bottoms up, you at some point have to rationalize and reconcile things. Did your did your work? Did your designs ever make it out? Some of them have made it out. Um, some of them, I think that they are going. My impression with Spotify is they are working through a backlog to try to simplify the the UI. It's just it's a tough I can, thing. I pay I pay for that thing. It I is pay for a, it too, so I feel justified. It's it a criticize disaster. It. I just search kind of works. You know, it's it's good. I mean, I love it because it has all the music. It has all I the like music, that. and and but then one day you're like, oh hey, podcasts are here, but not really, but kind of, but okay, but okay. Yeah. That's that's my experience with Spotify. Like, yeah. Oh, they look, they added a whole new great big thing I'd never know. Right. But anyway, let's are there any other ex clients that we could trash for you? <laughs> yeah. Google. I mean we got Google. I'm an advisor to Medium, so I don't feel comfortable with that. Okay. I don't want to trash them. Yeah. <laughs> um anyway, yeah, let's let's stop trashing his his clients. Well, I don't know if you one thing we did that was fun, um on the last day of T and Lax, I, I had a stack of DVDs of our server of every project we had done since 2002 and i started just like tweeting out screenshots from like 2002 like chronologically Fun. and just saying like here's the work like none, none of, this is something we did for like you know delta airlines in 2004 and wild and so that was fun yeah so you guys really you, you've touched many a global brand with yeah. your hands yeah yeah I, I i have a career of working on a lot of big stuff was that something you really wanted Growing up, like, did you ever? At what point did you go? Like, I'm happy to be interacting with the Fortune 100. So, I, I don't think it was were you that. seven. It's a trick yes. question, John. Be careful how you answer this. Were you as seven chi- years old. As a child in Toronto, yeah, I dreamt one day yeah. of sitting in interminable meetings of Fortune 100 companies, right, with uh, uh, Pfizer. With right. <laughs> so, I tell this story pretty because I actually remember this moment. And for those you've been around the web for a while, whereas I remember building. Some web page in ninety three or ninety four, and putting it, you know, up on the my university like web server, so it had some horrific, you know, URL structure to tilde it. Yeah, tilde slash, yeah, yeah, jlax thirty nine. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and then like a day later, cracking open the the log file and seeing that like you know fourteen people had been to the page, fourteen new friends. Well, they weren't even friends. They were just they were just no, a that's number. Was like whoa, yeah, 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 yeah. And and I feel like I've kind of been chasing that dragon ever. Like that, like the rush I got was like I made something that someone at least visited or quote unquote used was just incredibly compelling to me. Sure, I remember looking in the logs and it'd be like someone from London had, yeah, changed. and you'd be like, sure. whoa, yeah. I have international impact, like mind blown, right? Yeah. And. And I think that my career has, on some level, just been like chasing that upwards, cool. you know, up the curve. So you're very ego driven. <laughs> yeah, I guess, but but I don't There's think of it as wrong with that. I don't. <laughs> I just think of it as like I like making things that people use. Like I just I think that that's sure. an, and no, that's I think a one, nice way to put it. No, I mean it really. I I get the same thing where it's just 
there's something magical about the medium that I think that people often don't really talk about, which is that ability to connect very, very simply, very, very cheaply to hundreds of thousands of people with one or two very little ideas. Yeah. And I think that's why I went into magazine journalism. Right. Like I think it's the exact same drive of why I went – my college, I went and did I – because mean, I, I felt like that was the way to do that at that time was to write a magazine piece that people would read. And I just happened to arrive at school at in 1994, 95. And so it just coincided with that moment in time. So you seem happy with this transition. Yeah. You were looking to achieve things like to, to get a certain scale. Yeah. And you got it. And you're, yeah. you're telling us that. Is that the profile of the person who's going to be happy in the world you're in, in Silicon Valley and Facebook, that person who wants to achieve scale? Like who, who should be making the move out to the Golden Coast so I think that you there's a lot of different things happening out in the valley at at different, you know, scales and resolutions. In general, I would say that the things that are kind of valued out there are kind of big impact, global scale, huge huge things. And so I think people who are interested in working on problems that have those attributes should make that move. The one thing I will say, I tell this to a, a lot of people ask me about that. I say like I feel like you know, if you work in finance and you really want to operate at the top of your game, at some point you're going to spend some time on Wall Street, right? If you work in film, you know, you're probably going to spend some time in Hollywood. It doesn't mean you can't make films some, you know, out of New York or somewhere else in the world. But really, I think if you're going to operate at the highest level, you're going to spend some time out in Hollywood. And I think if you work in product design or engineering and you really want to work at a, at a very high level, you probably should spend some time in the valley. It doesn't mean it's the only place to, to do this work, but I think right now for this chapter of my career, it's kind of the place I want to be uh, right now. So you're – it's a charged word, but you're an insider now. Yeah. I don't know if I feel that way and that's maybe the Canadian and being pretty new. Well, it's just a year. It's yeah. Been, I mean it'll take But long. you are on – you're on the inside. He's I mean, going inside. Yeah. There's only like an arm left. You and a bunch of ICs are on the inside. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. If you want to put it that way, I think. No, we're, I, I, don't, I mean, I, I talked about it as having a front row seat, so I guess it is. Yeah, you know, on we talk a lot about that. We, t we, Rich and I talk a lot about being feeling like outsiders being here yeah. in New York City. Rich is less excited about the idea of Silicon Valley. I have to admit, like, it holds a tremendous sway over me. Like, what are they doing now? I think I the sway know. though should just be that there are some incredibly competent smart people and when you get to interact with them on a daily basis and work with them it's impressive to watch people operate at that level when you work watch with like i've worked with some really good engineers in my life but i have to say like i work with a lot of really really good engineers and you the things they are able to accomplish i've never heard no we can't do that ever and i think that in some if, if, if I think of some of my designer friends who work with IT groups or engineers, they spend their whole life like trying to convince the engineer that it can be done. Like that is not the mm. problem that I have. Interesting. Yeah. You know, there's also, there's a, there's a, I'll relive uh, one of uh, the meetings I had with a VC out in the Valley. And this was a major, major VC. And he heard the pitch. And he's like, I actually believe in what you're doing. I think this is a real space. And that what killed it is I had an agency in New York. Problem number one. And, he, and then he said to me, and I, this phrase, is this is exact quote, uh, I need you here, mm -hmm. uh, which I didn't really understand or process. Like, why do you care where I am? Like, this isn't about being in, we're not, it's not, uh, it's not a trade, a trading point. It's not a point where there's like sort of all this interconnectedness and commerce that goes on. It's just, it's this sprawl. There's a shitty mall down the road. And why do you need me here? I'm, I'm building stuff that's all virtual. Like, what do you care? Where do you, why do you care where I am? I didn't, I mean, I said this all in my head as I was standing there in the parking lot crying, but <laughs> on Sand Hill Road, <laughs> on Sand Hill Road. But, uh, it was, I never really was able to decipher what he was talking about. And I, I, I just, I wrote it off as he wants me uh, nearby so he like can it, come by. Yeah. And check stuff out. That's all I, I could rationalize. But I think it is about – I think it's about the people and about just uh, the quality of the meth they sell in the Valley is extremely high. It's also – it's the conversation there. You go to the coffee shop and you talk about platforms. It, and it, it's, it's true. You go to the bar it's and you talk the environment. about web standards. Right. They I, want you in that environment. I diminished – like I was sort of similar being like, ah, oh, like this is – 
ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that I have a better empathy for it now, now being there, which is there's just an incredible amount of talent. If you have to build a team yeah. around something that you are doing, there is just more people there who are doing that well, kind it's of a, work. It's literally, it's just this pump that yeah. just comes out of uh, Stanford, Stanford and, and Cal and, and, yeah. and Berkeley. They and, all go right to your company. So this is the other thing too is that the word impact gets thrown a lot around in the in the valley. Right. I don't know if that's a thing in New York. I hadn't really heard it until I now. Got to our, it. our ICs talk about different things. Different yeah. things, but there's this like concept of you gotta have impact. You gotta have, everyone's kind of obsessed about having. Here impact. we call it money. Yeah, we don't. That's we, inter- yeah, that's yeah. a that is a really interesting. Yeah, we don't hedge because in the valley they like well, are, they pretend like they're allergic valley. to money. I think that money is something different in Silicon Valley. I think there's like real money that people use, and then there's also like abstract, crazy like Facebook coins that you guys spend to buy WhatsApp. But you don't. But that's a different subject. You right? don't have, but no, no. I'm really interested in this. Like, you don't feel like with Wall Street and like craziness in terms of like people just you know sort of m- passing money back and forth and taking a little percentage in the financial engineering that like the relationship to money here is fundamentally different than on on the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so purely abstract. Like, I think that we see the entire economy the way the West Coast sees Bitcoin. And I think it ties yeah. in here. It ties into real estate. It's who lives where. I mean, there's you after 20 years in the city and, right. and Rich grew up here, your sense of there's always a dollar sign associated with absolutely any indicator in New York City. Hmm. It's also, I just, it's New York City. I mean, people are ready to claw your eyes out because you want to take the money that they have. That's New York. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the struggle. You right? walk down the street, you see a church, and you're like, God, that should just be apartments. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's right. horrible. It's exactly. a horrible thing that happens in your exactly. brain. You internalize capitalism. Now, just one last thought, and and then you think you know, Silicon. I mean, I think it's also putting aside Bitcoin and abstract and all that. I think that it's a cha- there's a change the world mindset. There where is. It's just it's not about that. They're all running in the same direction, right? And they I, seem to genuinely believe it. Like like I like yeah. I, I don't. At first, I, well, that's the math. <laughs> Do you believe yet? Do I Do believe, believe yet? it? That's a great question. So I think change the world is a uh, like it's just not how I how I think. It, meaning that I think that the things I do can change the world, but it's not my like explicit purpose that I stand there and go like I'm changing the world and I'm not. Okay, so that's a no. It's, it's cool, a, John. No. It's been amazing to have <laughs> you. Are a, a first guest <laughs> and the perfect guest. Thank you so much. <laughs> Really, thank um, you for coming. Great right. to have John here. This is the, wait, this is the episode that you look back on episode 100 and go, we knew, didn't know what the hell we were That's doing. That's exactly right. right. So I just want to be clear. What I'm looking forward to is next year, you're either going to be like, I have to get out of this crazy case <laughs> like lunatic SOS. Yeah. yeah. Or you're going to be like, guys, <laughs> the level of disruption that's headed our way, I'm yeah. going to ride this wave. <laughs> well, I look forward. Uh, mark your calendars. Valentine's Day. Uh, next year we'll, we'll 17 can't yeah. wait thank you so much thanks. John Lax John if people want to get in touch with you anything oh, we... I'm on Facebook okay uh, I'm pretty Friend findable I'm, I'm also on Twitter John has a great name it's J-O-N-L-A-X it is six letters total it's a killer name congratulations yeah. on your name yeah thank you you've been listening to Track Changes the official podcast of Postlight an agency in New York City We'd love to hear from you. You can send an email to questions at postlight.com with any questions you have about anything, and we'll try to answer them on this show. I'm a co-founder of Postlight. My name is Paul Ford. And I'm Rich Ciotti, other co-founder. We'll see you again very soon.